We're going to be over in the book of 2 Kings in chapter 3. 2 Kings in chapter 3. They say if you put a, a buzzard in a pen six foot by eight foot that's entirely open at the top, the bird, in spite of its ability to fly, will be an absolute prisoner. The reason is that the buzzard always begins to fly by running on the ground. And if you can restrict his access to not have a 10 to 12 foot runway, he'll, he won't fly. He won't even try and fly. The bat, they fly around at night. They're just extremely nimble. You all know what the bats are like. Actually, they're nice to have in your backyard. Anybody have some in your backyard? They're good to have. You may not like them personally, but you like what they do because they clean up those mosquitoes and stuff. And boy, they do a nice job with it. But anyway, if uh, say if it's that they cannot take off from a level place, if it's placed on the floor or flat on the ground, it won't be able to fly. The, the bat, in order to fly, has to have some elevation, and it throws itself off the elevated area and then begins to fly. The bumblebee, if you drop it into a tumbler, it can almost it can, it can just about die there. Because it won't fly up. It'll keep flying to the bottom and keep trying out all the sides around the bottom of the tumbler, but it won't fly up. Once in a while, one might stumble upon it, but generally they fly down and they fly out. And that's what they try and do. And so these three things, even though they all have the ability to fly and all have the ability to get out of traps that you would put them in, if you leave the top open or put them like a bat, put them on a flat piece of ground, they are not able to fly. They just won't go. That sometimes things, simple things, imprison us. We need to be aware of some of those things. And talk, what we're talking about today here is dealing with frustrations. We've been on this series. We call it the right stuff. We've got to make sure that we have the right stuff in us. That when you get squeezed, what comes out? Remember we put the Gatorade can up on the top? Gatorade's uh, advertising campaign was, is the, is, this, is the right stuff in you? Is it in you? Well, we want to find out what's in us. Because when we come under pressure... It's when what, what's in us comes out of us. We want to make sure that it's good. The Word of God says that we should be thankful most of the time. time. Just about always. All the time. time. Always we are to be. We are to come into His presence any way we feel like it. Into His courts through the front gate. With praise. praise. (laughs) There are certain ways that the Word of God has told us to come into His gates, to come into His courts. There are certain ways He's told us to come into His presence. Yet continually we... Come into his presence with grumbling and complaining, tell him how bad, how bad the day was, about how nasty our boss is, and how unruly our neighbor is, and how much we don't like this person, and how much this person is putting too much on us, and why did we have this relative, and why is this situation not clearing up, and we're not entering into his presence the way we're supposed to. We're not entering, entering his courts the way we should. But how many of y'all know that frustrations come at us? Now we're getting into holiday seasons and holiday seasons seem to bring out more frustrations because we have more things to do. We have, sometimes we have a lot of people coming over. You have a lot of people come over and dinner doesn't come out right. It gets to be a little bit more frustrating than if it was just your family where you can just say, ah, oh, let's just go get some pizza. Everybody be happy. But not when you have people coming over for a turkey dinner or such things like that. So frustration can come, but how is it that we are supposed to handle them and how are we supposed to stay in that attitude of praise and thanksgiving? So turn over to Second Kings, the third chapter. Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. And he reigned 12 years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not like his father and mother. For he put away the sacred pillar of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, he persisted in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Naboth, whom he had made Israel to sin. He did not depart from them. Now, Misha, now we don't have to get into all the things that he had done and all the bad stuff that he had done. That's not really the focus here. But you remember what Jeroboam did and he did pretty much the same thing. Led him into that type of religion, that type of uh, false worship of God. And he was doing the same thing. Even though he did put away Baal, he didn't do everything good that he should have done. We already, already told you, how many good kings did the northern king have? Northern kingdom have? It's really easy to count. Zero. The northern kingdom never had a God-fearing king. When they split apart. They had a couple that were God-fearing before they were uh, king. But once they became king, they went the other way. 
The southern kingdom had a number of, of righteous kings. Not all of them were righteous kings, but they had a number of righteous kings and they surely outdid the northern tribes in that way. But here, Jehoram was an upgrade from Ahab, but it's not that great. I don't know how many, somebody, how, how many, how long you've been working with computers. Some of you who are working with computers, it would be like an upgrade from Windows version 1 to Windows version 2. You can go way back there. It was a big upgrade in a number. Didn't do a whole lot. I don't, I've been in computers a long time. When Windows version 1 came out, I bought it. And then like most people, it sat on my computer and didn't do anything. And then Windows version 2 came out. How many of y'all bought Windows? Anybody here bought Windows version 2? Anybody at all? I bought Windows version 2 and once, you know, we looked around, checked out some things, had some nice upgrades, but then it sat on the desk. It didn't do anything. It wasn't until Windows version 3.1, I think it was 3, 3.1, something like that, that it actually took off and began to do something, which I thought was a travesty because there was actually a company before Windows, they were both vying for the same market. And the other company actually had a product that worked. Their window program actually worked. Microsoft's didn't. And yes, Microsoft is the one that got the, got the sale and I guess they had better salesmen, whatever it was. But anyway, we got stuck with Windows version 1, Windows version 2. All you folks who are wrestling with XP and Vista and stuff like that, and you have no idea what it was like before. No idea what computers were like before. I go back to the era where computers, when you turned it on, all you had was a blinking dot, a blinking cursor at a C prompt. And then you better know what to do with it because that's all it did. It blinked at you. Waiting for the command. <laughs> but anyway, he's an upgrade. Not a real good one. Just uh, an upgrade. He was better than the, pre- pre- the, the guy before, but not all that great all the, overall. So anyway, we're not going to get into the life of Jehoram. We just want to, really want to take a look at this one particular thing they had done. Now, Misha king of Moab was a sheep breeder and he regularly paid the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams and it happened when Ahab died that the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So king Jehoram went out of Samaria and at that time mustered all Israel. Then he went and sent Jehoshaphat king of Judah saying the king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said I will go up. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. Now, take careful note of this passage. Whom did Moab pay tribute to? Israel. Which was, previous before this, it was Ahab. Before that, it was Omri. That's who he paid tribute to. Did he pay tribute to Jehoshaphat? He paid tribute to the king of Israel. Right now, it would be Jehoram. So, Jehoshaphat gets what out of this? Nothing. Nothing. He's asking, come on over, help me fight Moab because they rebelled against me and I'm not getting their money anymore. Oh, well, I'll just come on over and take my army and, and our, our folks over and defeat Moab to help you out so that you can get your money in. How many of you are in on that deal? I guess if you're good friends with the guy, maybe you might want to help him out, but not a real, not a real good reason for, for doing this. And Jehoshaphat, we already saw he teamed up with Ahab. Was he supposed to team up with Ahab? No, he was not. He was uh, exhorted not to be doing that. And he went ahead and did it anyway. Even the prophet came on out and said that Ahab is going to die. And Jehoshaphat still went out to battle with him. And so, of course, then the, arch, the, the people out there, they were all looking for the guy with the king. And so Ahab came up to Jehoshaphat. And he said, tells Jehoshaphat, you know what? When we go into battle, they're, they're going to be... Uh, that prophecy about me wasn't real good. So how about you wear your kingly robes and I don't wear mine? And Jehoshaphat says, okay. I don't know what it is with Jehoshaphat. I think we get up there to meet him. I mean, he's a good king and all and, and he did a lot of good things and some not so good things, but he did some, some really good things. But sometimes he just doesn't appear to be all that bright. I don't know about you, but it just seems like if you got the prophecy, they're going to come after the king of a- King Ahab and they're going to want to kill him. And Jehoshaphat's told, I don't want to go in there looking like a king, but you go in there looking like a king. What do you think Ahab's thinking? They'll get you. <laughs> this is great. They'll kill you. <laughs> and then they'll think they got me and I'm off the hook. And Jehoshaphat says, okay. And so Jehoram comes to him and says, look, you're not getting any money in this and I'm not going to pay you anything for it. You're not going to get any money after this. But come on down and help me beat them. Okay. So I'm not sure what it is. We'll get a chance 
to meet Jehoshaphat, I'm sure, at some point up there. I'm sure that, you know, a lot of people, people want to get to meet, you know, Peter and John. Jehoshaphat's probably pretty far down on everybody's list. But eventually you probably want to get on over there and then you can ask them, what's the deal? Where do we leave off at? I will go up. I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. Then he said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, by way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom and they marched on that roundabout route seven days. There was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them. So it's caused this route a roundabout route. How did they come up with the route? They asked somebody. And somebody said, oh, we're going to go up through this way. Alright, let's go up through Edom. Roundabout way. And uh, either they weren't planning on there not being any water there, which I'm told that this is kind of a dry area. And so if you're going through a dry area, how many of you all know you need to take water or go a different way? But whatever it was, they went through a potentially dry area and didn't bring enough water or didn't bring any water or whatever and expected there to be some. However it was, they were unprepared. They didn't really go the, the greatest of ways here. So they say, which way should we go up? And they asked each other. And they picked away low on resources, not a whole lot of water that was there. They didn't plan to overcome the problems. They didn't really have a way to overcome a lack of water if there was lack of water there. Now understand, they live around this area. They know what regions are about. They know what regions are like. Just like we do. You know, if you know certain places out west are dry, certain places up north are cold, certain places in the northwest are cold and snowy, and you know if you're going to go there that you ought to you know, take some things. Bring some stuff. They didn't have AccuWeather. They didn't have the internet to call up the, the local radar and all that, but they still had ways of figuring things out and they knew what was going on. So they didn't plan to overcome the problems and after a seven-day journey, they were out of water. They were out of water. I, they're not in a real good situation here. They got an army. They got all the, all the cattle and all the stuff to feed. And you're supposed to go into battle. And you got no water. It's hard to fight when you're thirsty. You ever go outside in the summertime and play basketball or, or some kind of a sport and get thirsty? And just, uh, oh man, once you get thirsty and you're getting kind of dry, isn't it tough to do anything? You just do thirsty. So that's what these things, where they're at, what position they're in. Let's pick up our verse, verse 10. And the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So they come on down and they find this position. They find there's no water. And now the king of Israel says what? The Lord has called us to die here. Now again, who did they ask which way to go? There wasn't the Lord. They asked each other. Which way did you go? Let's go this way. All right. Let's go this way. So God didn't tell them to go that way. Did God tell Jehoshaphat, Thou shalt go and subdue Moab? And, and God won't say that to Jehoaz because he's not God-fearing. He won't say that to the king of Edom because he's not God-fearing either. And Edom really is along for the ride, it seems, much as Jehoshaphat is. So they have no commission from God. They have no direction from God. They have nothing that says you know, God hasn't advised them. So he says, for the Lord has called, but the Lord hasn't really called because God didn't commission them, God didn't advise them, and God didn't direct them. How many times people have blamed things on God? God has told me to do this. And then they get there and they can't get it done. And then what happens? God has brought us here to fail. God has messed with us. Mm. That's just not a good attitude. But you know, when you get frustrated, bad things can come out. Because when you don't have good stuff inside, what comes out when you're under pressure? Bad stuff. If you don't have good stuff inside, bad stuff is going to come out. That's how it's going to be. There was a story that's told in during the, the 70s. The San Diego Chargers had Dan Fouts as quarterback. How many of you remember Dan Fouts? All right, a few old-time football fans here. Remember Dan Fouts? Well, in, uh, in one game in particular, uh, Fouts and the whole team, they were all having a bad day. It just wasn't going so well. And there was two minutes remaining in the game and San Diego was down 14 to nothing. 
Well, frustrations were high, so you know the coach has to, you have to do something to try and change things up. You haven't scored a point yet, two minutes to go in the game. So he decides to pull Dan Fouts out of the game and put in the backup. You know who his backup was? Most of you didn't even know who Dan Fouts was, so you're not going to know his backup, are you? <laughs> backup was Bobby Douglas. How many still don't know who his backup is? Never heard of Bobby Douglas, huh? Who's, who's this guy? Who's <laughs> Bobby Douglas steps onto the, uh, sent onto the field. And so he runs out to the, uh, to the huddle and all of a sudden he, he looks just kind of, uh, unsure about some things. And so he, he looks back at the sideline and he hollers over to the sideline. He said, coach, did you want me to win the game or just tie it? <laughs> now that's the kind of attitude you want someone to have when they go into a game for down 14 nothing, isn't it? <laughs> Not just to buy time or did you want me to win the game or just tie it? I thought that was great. But see, these folks aren't facing this with this, this kind of an attitude, are they? They come on down here, they face the first bit of opposition. They have no water. God has brought us here to die. God hadn't brought you here at all. But beside that fact, God has not brought you here to die. But often, we face frustrating times. We face things where we've, we get frustrated. And as soon as something frustrating happens, it must be bad. It must not be going to work. And if we fall into that, how many of us find ourselves giving thanks. Giving glory to God. Being thankful always. How many of us, is that what comes out of you? When you are frustrated at the situation, it looks like it's not going to work out, you're encountering a problem and you say, glory be to God. Thank the Lord. Oh, the Lord is good today. Isn't that what we do? But the Word of God doesn't say be thankful most of the time. It says be thankful. So if you get into those frustrating situations, should you continue to be thankful? If you are not continuing to be thankful, we talked about this before, if I'm not continually thankful, I am unthankful. There is not a place between being thankful and being unthankful. There's no neutral ground. You are either thankful or you are. That's it. So we got to stay on the thankful side. But we hit those frustrating parts. You know, you're, you're in a long line trying to buy something that's on sale for Christmas. And somebody cuts in front of you. You get into the store to find that thing that they had advertised and it's not there. The price is smart. You left your wallet in the car after you waited through a long line. Oh. Oh, is that, is that frustrating? What wells up on the inside of us? Glory be to God. <laughs> right? Do you see? Do you let out of your mouth? Oh, I'm blessed. Is that what comes out of here? No. Generally, most people are engaged in those kind of frustrating situations have other words that don't mean blessed <laughs> come out of their mouth. But we lose everything about Thanksgiving. And we know I should be thankful always, but I keep finding exceptions. You know when the kids have frustrated you? When your parents have frustrated you? When the boss has frustrated you? When co-workers have frustrated you? Employees have frustrated you? Neighbors have frustrated you? I mean, it can get kind of, kind of tough. And out of your mouth does not want to come Blessings. Out of your mouth wants to come something else. But you're filled with good stuff. Right? Remember the Snapple can? What's inside? Good stuff. Now it's even better stuff. Right? Even better stuff. Fill yourself up with good stuff. Fill yourself up with even better stuff. And then when you're squeezed, what comes out? Good stuff. See, when these guys were squeezed... First thing comes out, God has brought us here to die. I mean, not having water for an entire army is frustrating because I am sure the army is not just saying, I know you guys tried your best. I know that you are working through all this and just trying to, you know, make sure that it would work for all of us and that something happened and it's it, it just beyond your ability to plan. And that's okay. We still love you. I'm sure that that happened. How many of you have ever worked in a retail store? 
and something isn't right? I mean, every single one of the people, when something isn't right, will always say, that's okay. I know that you did your best. I know that you gave it your all. And I just appreciate you giving it a shot to make this thing work for me. I know that you brought me all the way out of my house to come all the way over here to the store because you told me this thing would be available and now it's not. But I know that you did your best. And that's what's coming out of our mouth? Isn't that the thoughts that we're having? <laughs> no, it's not, is it? What do you mean? I came all the way over here for this and you're going to tell me it's not there? Oh, because <laughs> I deserve it. That's mine. And we all know what, is, what a good it does for us to have that attitude of I deserve it. It's mine. It belongs to me. I should have it. Hmm. We got to be careful. So they come on down. They got no water. Whoever was responsible, whoever was supposed to, whatever was supposed to be going on there. Uh. -uh. So he's probably got a frustrated army, frustrated people, and they got no water. Verse eleven. But Jehoshaphat said. Is there no prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the Lord by him? It seems to be something he says often. So one of the servants of the king of Israel answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here, who poured water on the hands of Elijah. I'm not really sure why Elisha is around there. This is a lot further south than he usually ministered in. But for whatever reason, he was around. Whatever reason, they knew he was around. And he was close enough, he came on by. So, the word of the Lord is with him, he says. So the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, and the king of Edom went down to him. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, What have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these kings, these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. So he's convinced the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Never was there a mention of the Lord calling these three kings together for victory. When they were ready to mount up and come together for victory, he never one time said, the Lord has called us to this purpose. Come help us. But now that they're going to be defeated, the Lord has caused us to be defeated. That's what it seems like it is with people. A lot of times we blame God for the bad stuff and other things get blamed for the good stuff. You know, a baby dies. Whose fault is it? It's God's fault. God took them. God killed him. God took him. Bad things happen. God did it. Good things happen. Well, I guess I was just lucky. But bad stuff happens. You know God's behind it. That's the same attitude they have here. Verse 14, And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regarded the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. Now notice he said, If I did not regard the presence of Jehoshaphat. He didn't say the judgment of Jehoshaphat. I don't know how much regard God had for Jehoshaphat's judgment because he's making a lot of bad judgment calls throughout his life. So he doesn't say I have regard for the wisdom. I don't have re doesn't say I have regard for the judgment. He says I have regard for the presence of Jehoshaphat. So understand this. How many of you all have made bad decisions? Unwise decisions done things that you look back and you say, oh, how stupid was I. God has regard for your presence even when you make bumbling decisions. Isn't that good? Glory to God. Elisha says, if it were not that I regarded the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. So God is faced with a situation where there are two unrighteous kings and one king he regarded his presence and he decides to show up with a word of knowledge because of Jehoshaphat. That's how much God thinks of your presence. Verse 15, But now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. So we should now have the doctrine that whenever we want to hear a word from God, we must have a musician present who must play the harp. Right? I mean, it's in the Word. <laughs> no, you all know, be real careful. Don't just take something the Word of God says one time and make a doctrine out of it. I don't know. Elisha may like harps. And he may really enjoy that. 
How many of y'all like certain music that other people don't like? I like classical music. I love classical music. I so enjoy it. My wife doesn't like it as much as I do. So if we go in the car together, she'll say, oh, can you put something else on? Where if I'm in there by myself, guess what's on? Oh, it's just the classical music. Oh, I like classical music. It's just, but you know, and that inspires me. There are, how many of you folks would be here saying classical music does not inspire you? Does not inspire, some other music might. Country music might inspire some of you. Not sure why, but (laughs) country music might inspire some of you folks. Other people, you know, they, different types of music. Uh, we were out of the country one time and they were playing that reggae music. I'm not sure why that inspires anyone, but apparently it does. And it inspires some people. It doesn't inspire me. So if I was to, uh, you know, ask for a musician, I might call for some, uh, uh, one of the nice, uh, uh, pieces by Bach to be played. You know, he wrote those for churches. Beethoven wrote a lot of things he wrote for churches. They didn't just write for, for, they were, it wasn't really just secular music. They wrote these things for churches. And they were played in churches. So he, you might, I might call for one of those things. And then you can make up a whole doctrine. If you want to have the Word of God, you have to have Bach. <laughs> but that's not so, is it? This is one time this happened. So Elisha likes music to get him ready. Now we like music in service. We play music before we have, you know, teaching and other things going. We like music, don't we? Gets us ready for things. So that's all. Don't read into it any more than that. There are many times that the prophets came out and said things and there was no music. Elisha just needs a crutch. That's all it is. No, he doesn't really. I'm just (laughs) throwing that out there. (laughs) So bring me a musician. It happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him and said, Thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle, and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand. Also you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city, cut down every, every good tree, and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. So this is what they're supposed to do. Going through, God apparently is not real happy with Moab. Some of the things that they've been doing. So he gives them this prophecy. This is what you do. So dig ditches. How many like to dig ditches? Have you ever gone out in your backyard and tried to dig a hole one foot deep? That's not easy, is it? That's not even a ditch. I mean, that's just a little thing. You know, if, you, if you're too close to a tree, you've got to get a pickaxe out and just, you know, go to town on those things and take those things out and then dig with the shovel and, oh, there's just so much to, to dig out. If you dig up a garden. I mean, it, it takes some work, doesn't it? He just says, go out there and dig some ditches. He does not say, dig wells. How I many you can understand if he says, dig wells? Oh, there must be water down there. Alright, but this is a dry area. He doesn't say, dig wells. He says, dig ditches. Does he say how many ditches? If they dug two ditches, would that be an obedience? Well, ditches is plural. Two ditches, that's plural. I guess they would have... Uh, but he, they apparently didn't do that. They dug a lot of ditches. They dug them all over the place. And he didn't say make a big... He didn't say make a big pond. He said ditches. And so sometimes God can say make ditches and we think pond. God can say, make ditches and we think wells. God can say, make ditches and we think lake. Oh, if God wants me to dig ditches, I know. I will dig him one, dig him one really big ditch. But that's not what he said. He said, dig ditches. He wanted the whole valley filled with ditches. And so they set out to do that. Let's fill this valley with some ditches. Let's, let's not get two or three. Let's fill the whole valley with ditches. Apparently, we're not supposed to make one big hole. Apparently, we're not supposed to dig down and get wells. We're supposed to be making ditches. And so we need to be obedient to this. And so then they, they did all that and they went through the night and nothing happened. I'm sure that they were digging those ditches and looking. Now, if you are thirsty, how many of you want to dig ditches? 
usually that makes you thirstier. And so they dig ditches and I'm sure that they're digging the ditches and saying, this isn't working. I'm not seeing any water. How many know you can get frustrated in a situation like that? This can be frustrating. I am working. I am doing. I'm getting thirstier. This is not helping our situation. It's not getting better. It's getting worse because I'm getting more and more thirsty. I'm not liking this. Frustration can begin to build because we're not seeing the fruit of the labor. I think that's one of the things that really gets us frustrated the most when we don't see the fruit of the labor. We want to see fruit, huh? You plant a tree, apple tree in the backyard, you, what are you expecting out of that apple tree? You're expecting some fruit. There's no fruit coming out of that apple tree? Guess what? The apple tree's gone. I want some fruit. And so we can get frustrated. So situations come along like this and they can frustrate us. They can frustrate us. Hmm. He says, you will not see wind, rain, but the valley will be filled with water. So dig some ditches. Now, just from what he says, you can kind of get the idea that somehow the valley is going to be filled with water and these ditches are going to be filled with the water. So they can get an idea just from the prophecy of what's going to happen. And then he tells them what to do when they go in. Now, it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom. And the land was filled with water. It happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom. Wait until the morning. I'll bet you a few of those guys got up in the middle of the night. Any water yet? I'm still thirsty. There's no water yet. We dug all those ditches for nothing. I know it. There's no water. There's no water coming. There's no water in this area. Happened in the morning. Suddenly, water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. What happened in this scenario is down in this valley, there was uh, mountains on the other side of it. And somehow the rain had fallen in the mountains and had come on down the mountains and rushed through the valley. It was a flash flood. And as it rushed through the valley, it kept on going. But where the ditches were, the water stayed behind. Now they've got stuff to get to, to drink. And so they water the animals and they water themselves. They all get some water and they all have this, have this going on. Glory to God. Amen. So they got all these ditches now and as far as they're concerned, God has answered prayer, right? This is great. We got water. We didn't know where water was coming from. God had it rain. Now, when God had it rain, I don't know. It could have been when they first were going through all this and he had the rain come. It could have been, maybe it was a day before it needed to rain and the water was working its way on down. However it was, God had it worked out so that it was timed out that here it comes. Here comes the water. Fills up all the ditches. And so now they got water and they're all ready to go to war. They're all ready to fight. Okay. Verse 21. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them all, all who were able to bear arms and older were gathered and they stood at the border. So look at the people that, he's, that they're gathering to fight. Who are they gathering to fight? Everyone who can bear arms. Every single one of them. Who, if you can bear arms. So they're probably some that aren't so, so well trained, are they? You're probably going to get some warriors and you're probably going to get some new soldiers and you're going to get some rookies. You're going to get some guy who just picked up a sword and don't really know what to do with it, but I'm ready. We're going to fight. We're going to defend our land. These guys are coming against us. We're going to keep them out. So this is the group of people they have and they all come upon where the camp is and they look out. And they rose up early in the morning and the sun was shining on the water and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is the blood the kings have surely attacked swords or struck swords and have killed one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. So they make an assumption, but they look down in there and all of the ditches that are filled with water give an appearance because first off, they're not real deep. The way the sun hits them, the way they mix with the, the clay that's in the area, they look red. And all they see is red all over. And they know this is not an area where water is. So they don't assume that it's water. They assume that it is blood. They've all killed each other. And this has happened before, hasn't it? We've already read some stories 
where this has happened before. In Jehoshaphat's reign, it happened one time for him. He's coming up to the battle and they all killed each other. So they think this is what's going on. And so they run in. Now there's difference between a soldier running in the battle and one running after spoil. It's a whole lot different. You're, you're just geared up differently. Some of you folks would like to go out on Black Friday. You know, there's a different mentality you must have when you go out on Black Friday <laughs> if you're going to go shopping than in the rest of the days. You, you just got You can't go out with a Monday attitude. You have to go out with a special Black Friday attitude because you're going to face all kinds of people. And you've got to keep your wits about you because you want to make sure you're not standing in some long line to save $10. That's no good. If you're going to stand in a long line, it's going to be you know for something. We, were, uh, we go out a lot of times on Black Friday anymore just for fun. Just to, to watch the folks and, and to see what's going on. And we came upon Best Buy. Best Buy is usually one of those places that we don't go to. Walmart is one of those places I will never go to on a Black Friday. If you all do, you will not see me there because I cannot have fun there. But Best Buy, we can usually have fun because you can get in there and you can and you can watch all the people. And there were chairs sitting out. I mean, Black Friday, it was a cold morning. It wasn't real cold, but it was a cold morning. People sat in the chairs. You saw their coffee cups. You saw their water bottles. You saw all the different things sitting there. I'm thinking, dear Lord, what was so valuable in this store that you sat out here for several hours in the cold, needed a chair because you couldn't stand all that time, had to sit down in the chair to get into the store and then to wait in that line. Dear Lord, I hope it was good. I have no idea because I don't know what was on sale at Best Buy. We just went there for fun, like I said. We walked out as well. But it was fun watching all those folks going out there and run about and Fortunately, they weren't killing each other. But it's a different mentality when you go after spoil than when you go after battle. And so when they're going after spoil, they might not have brought all their armor. They may have left some of it behind because if I don't get there fast, George is going to beat me. And he's going to take some stuff that I could have. So i got to get there fast and my shield might be holding me back. And my helmet and the, the stuff they put on their legs... We've got to get rid of some of this stuff so we can get on out there. And so they rush on out to get spoil and all of a sudden they are greeted by a ready three, uh, tr- three armies all ready for battle with all their stuff on. And they just start knocking off Moabites. And they realize we are in a battle. We're not ready for a battle and they run. And some of them probably got some of their stuff and tried to fight. But a lot of them died along the way. And what was the command? Destroy everything. Get the cities. Get the fortified cities. Get the, the really special cities. Cut down the good trees. Mess up all the good soil. Throw stones on it. Mess this place up. And that was the command. That's what they were supposed to do. So when they came to the camp of Israel, Israel rose up and attacked the Moabites so that they fled before them and they entered their land killing the Moabites. Then they destroyed the cities and each man threw a stone on every good piece of land and filled it. And they stopped up all the springs of water and cut down all the good trees. But they left the stones of Kerasheth intact. However, the, the slingers surrounded and attacked it. And when the king of Moab saw that the battle was too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom. But they could not. Now, we don't know why he picked Edom. He may have saw Edom as the weakest of the three. He may have thought he could get Edom to side with him instead of with the other two. Whatever it was, that's what he picked. And that's the way he decided to go. Then he took... But when that didn't work, verse 27, Then he took his eldest son, who would have reigned in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering upon the wall. There was great indignation, indignation against Israel. So they departed from him and returned to their own land. Now, I don't know exactly what happened with this thing. And most of the things I read about, they're not quite sure what exactly happened with it either. It seems that the last ditch effort, Moab's king offered his oldest son to his God as a sacrifice. And that was just such a disgusting thing to Israel and all the folks that were around there that said, this guy is so desperate. This is what he'll do. And they may have lost heart in trying to finishing him off. Because they were just desperate. You know, desperate people will do all kinds of things. And so they may have just gone back and said, you know what? 
we've pretty much secured a great victory. We've destroyed a lot of cities. Let's just go home. So whatever it was, they went on home and they left them there. There were still some survivors. There were still some people there. And those, these people rose up in the nation of Moab and continued later on. They will come back and they will haunt Israel. And they will mess with Judah. They will come back as raiding bands and so forth. And at one point, as soon as Elisha dies, you're going to see that raiding bands come in from Moab. So what? how could they have avoided that? Do what Elisha said. Take care of the whole thing. Wipe it all out. But they didn't do it. And they went on back home. Well, they got frustrated. They got frustrated. They got to a place where they had no water. They got to a place where things weren't going as good as they should have. When it seems like the preparations that needed to be prepared weren't done. They came into some hardship. And they blamed God. And they got frustrated. We have to make sure that when we face these kind of situations, we don't fall into the same thing that these guys did and blame God. And look at God and say, God, how come you're doing this? What's going on with this part over here? Don't blame God. It isn't God's fault. Don't blame God. Learn to be thankful in a valley with no water. They should have learned to be thankful in a valley with no water. Don't sit there and say, Thank you, Father God, that you have given us no water. Thank you, Father God, that you have brought us to a place to die here. We will eternally give you praise as we die. That's not it. You don't thank God for all the situations, but in them you thank Him. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. No matter where you are. Philippians 4, verse 11 says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be. But notice this word. For I have learned. Contentment, folks, is learned. It's not brought about because of money. It's not brought about because of fortune. It's not brought about because of good luck. Contentment is learned. You can learn to be content. You need to train yourself to teach yourself how to be content in the situation you're in. You need to learn how to be content with the spouse that you have. Learn to be content with the kids that you have no matter how ornery they seem to be at times. No matter how disobedient they seem to be at times. You need to be, learn to be content with that little car you got before you're going to get a bigger one. You've got to learn to be content with the house that you have. You've got to learn to be content with whatever God has blessed you with. Just learn to be content. It's a learning process. But we have learned how to be discontent, haven't we? We know real well how to be discontent. I know how to know this, this isn't what I should have. I should have better. I should have more. I should have different. We all know how to get that. But God doesn't want that. He wants us to learn how to be content in whatever state that we're in. Paul says, I, I learned this. He wasn't born this way. He learned it. He came into this. For I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Learn how to be content. Practice being content. Because content people can thank God. Content people give praise to God. Frustrated people don't. Frustrated people get angry at God. Frustrated people blame God. Blame things. Learn to be content. How many of y'all have your eyes on something better than what you have right now? It's okay to have your eyes on something better. But learn to be content with what you got. Father God, I thank you for what I have. I know what's in the future is going to be even better. But I thank you for what I have. I thank you for the life that I have. I thank you for the place you have put me in. I thank you for the things you have given me to work in and to minister to. I thank you for the friends that you have given me. I thank you for the relatives, the family I was born into. I thank you for the country I was born into. Just be thankful. Be content. It is so easy to always be looking at what someone else has. <laughs> Don't be doing that. Don't be doing that. Be thankful in whatever state we're in. Now, you all know, how many of y'all can say, you don't have to raise your hand. This is an inside hand. Inside hand, inside voices, stuff like that. Use your inside hands on this one. How many can say this week, you lost an opportunity to learn to be content? 
I think we all have, haven't we? Oh, I could have been more content there. I spoke out some things. I was discontent. I was this, I was that. <clears throat> Don't do it. Again, it's in the Bible. Philippians 4, verse 11. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. You see, folks, the enemy brings you to a place of no water. Brings you to a place of no food. Brings you to a place of nasty neighbors and funny relatives and situations and all the things that would come against us. He brings us to a place with that. He brings us to a place where we don't get the best reports. He brings bad news to our ears. How many have heard news like, oh, wherever you're working, they're talking about a shakeup. They're talking about people not having their jobs much longer. News like that comes to you. And it's just like these folks came with the news of no water. And what happens? He wants you to begin to think fear. God has brought me here to kill me. God has brought me here to let me die. Frustrate the enemy. Learn how to frustrate the enemy. One of the best tools you will ever have is the tool of frustration for the enemy. Don't use it on your friends. Use it on your enemies. Frustrate them. I've told you this story before, but bears repeating. My sister and I, when we were younger, we were both ticklish. And she would torment me with that. I mean, she was bigger. First, she was bigger than I was. She was an older sister. And she'd torment me with that stuff. Until I came to the day and I said, that's it. I am not going to be ticklish anymore. I decided I was not going to be ticklish anymore. Now, my body did not immediately line up with that decision. But I forced my body. I brought my body into subjection to my decision. I will not be ticklish. And she would tickle and tickle. Finally, I could just sit there. Go ahead. And she'd tickle and tickle and tickle. And it didn't work. And you know what? It frustrated her. You know how many more times she did it? She gave up. No sense in doing it anymore. Not going to help. Now, my folks are away today. I can tell you this story. We're out in California. Arrived safely, by the way. <laughs> I can tell you this story. They already know the story anyway. But I, I just, I was terrible as a kid. I was not always the saint you see before you now. <clears throat> I was terrible as a kid. Tormented them continually. And I found out early on as a child that one of the best ways to get at my mom was to not give her the satisfaction of knowing a punishment hurt. And she'd spank me with everything that she could and I wouldn't utter a sound. Not a peep, not a tear, nothing. And I'll tell you what, mom was going through some physical things then and she put everything into that spanking. Because if you don't make it hurt, it's not going to do any good and she knew it needed to do some good. And I gave her nothing. And then she would punish me and she would say, all right, go to your room for the rest of the night. And I'd say, okay. All right, well, if that's okay, then no TV. All right. Well, if that's all right, then we'll do that for all, the whole next week. Okay. I mean, I was terrible. I just wouldn't give it to her. <laughs> I would not give her any satisfaction. That frustrated her. That was nasty. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. That wasn't nice. <laughs> that wasn't nice to do to mom. I put mom through some stuff. Shouldn't have done that, all that. Learned. Thank God for patient parents put up with me and kept trying to tan my high when it needed to be tanned. <laughs> uh, but frustrate the enemy. He's trying to do these things to get at you. He's trying to make you think, oh, I'll get at you. What do you think of this? And when he sees us respond, oh, that hurts. Oh, the pain. Oh, and we have fear and we have doubt and we have worry. He is happy. He is thrilled. Oh, this is working. Do more. But when it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Oh, he gets frustrated. He gets upset. You know, when football players take a hard hit, you know what their goal is? Get up. No matter what, get up. 
get up and walk on back to that huddle and get in that huddle and there in the huddle you can say, oh! <laughs> but don't let the enemy see you. And then come back there and line up and growl and look at that guy. Don't let him know that it hurt. Don't let him know it. You've got to frustrate the enemy. We are sometimes encouraging the enemy because he throws things in our line to frustrate us and we get frustrated. He throws a bad report in and we get all worried and concerned and, and oh, I can't believe this is going to happen. Oh, this is terrible. Instead of being thankful always, instead of entering into his presence with thanksgiving, we enter into his presence with frustration, grief and anxiety, worry, despair, doubt. And the enemy says, ah, it worked. And God says, come on, stay with the program. Always be thankful. You cannot be frustrated and be thankful. They don't exist together. Don't, don't let that happen. You can't be worried and be thankful. Thankfulness chases out the worry. It's like being in the dark while you're in the light. Don't work. Stay in the light. Stay in the attitude of thanksgiving. And when the devil throws something in your path and you say, oh, you're trying to frustrate me. <laughs> I'm going to get you, devil. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I thank you that my deliverance is nigh. I thank you that you have brought me to a place of success. I thank you that you are bringing me out of the dark place and you are taking me into the call that you have. Oh, it's good. Oh, Father God, I thank you. Oh, you'll frustrate the enemy. Oh, you'll teach the enemy. Well, I can't keep doing that. That's not working. Because all he's doing is giving you opportunity to train yourself to be content, to train yourself to always be a praiser, always be one who gives thanksgiving. He doesn't want to do that. He wants you to react like these guys did when they came to the valley and there was no water. But don't be that way. Stand up. Say, Father God, we thank you. And we give you the praise. Would you all stand up with me?